This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on Insurance. I am an attorney who has retired from the practice of law and now spend my time acting as an insurance claims consultant, an insurance claims expert witness, an author and producer of these videos. Today, I'd like to speak about the effect of the tort of bad faith on the insurance industry and on business in general. And it starts in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s when the insurance industry was found to have abused some insureds to avoid paying legitimate claims. Without a factual basis, insureds were accused of arson or other variations on a, a insurance fraud. Indemnity payments were refused on the flimsiest of excuses. People were found to have diseases that only horses could catch. Disability payments were refused because an insured was wheeled in her wheelchair to church one day and therefore was not totally house-confined. Insureds were driven into bankruptcy when reasonable demands within policy limits were refused. To stop this abuse, the courts of the state of California invented a tort of bad faith breach of an insurance contract. Many other states have followed the lead. Until the invention of the tort of bad faith, all that an insured could collect from an insurer that wrongfully denied a claim were the benefits due under the policy. In the tort of bad faith, the courts allowed the insureds to collect, in addition, the entire panoply of tort damages, including punitive damages. It worked. Insurers treated their insureds better. The threat of punitive damages made insurers wary of rejecting any claim. The creation of the tort of bad faith was in many ways a good thing for both insurers and insureds. However, what the courts that created the door toward a bad faith did not recognize that it was also the key to Pandora's box. The law of unintended consequences came in play, and lawyers began to take advantage of the new tort. The law can be defined as understanding that actions of people, and especially of government or the courts, always have effects that are unintended or unanticipated. Insurance is controlled by the courts through appellate decisions and by governmental agencies through statute and regulation. Compliance with the appellate decisions, statutes and regulations, different in various states, is exceedingly difficult and expensive. As Justice Kaus of the California Supreme Court noted back in 1985, quote, the problem is not so much the theory of the bad faith cases as its application. It seems to me that attorneys who handle policy claims against insurance companies are no longer interested in collecting on those claims but spend their wits and energies 
trying to maneuver the insurers into committing acts which the insureds can later trot out as evidence of bad faith, close quote. This was White versus Western Title, decided December 31, 1985, the last day that three justices of the California Supreme Court were voted out of office. Some speculate that spite against those who helped them lose an election was the reason for the decision. As a result of the White versus Western title case, litigation and settlement in California became more difficult. An insurer could be held responsible for litigation tactics it found necessary to defeat a wrongful bad faith claim against the insurer. The case allowed evidence of settlement negotiations, usually protected, to be admitted to help prove the insurer acted in bad faith. The white decision that allowed such evidence in a bad faith case has been criticized as unfairly compromising a defendant's right to defend himself, herself, or itself. When an insurer is sued, it could be charged with bad faith for taking what the plaintiff in a court felt were too many depositions unsuccessful motions for summary judgment, or failing to offer an appropriate amount at a settlement conference. It became essential as a result of the White versus Western title case for all the parties to waive the holding of the Supreme Court in White versus Western title before negotiations began, and therefore in its attempt to help people deal with bad faith has actually made it harder to get settlements. Insurers, since they began the practice of what is now known as the white waiver, for settlement discussions at the time of the claim stage and during litigation, insurers have asked for a release to be signed by the insured stating that settlement discussions are kept private and therefore the conduct of the insurer in providing any settlement discussion under the white waiver cannot be used to establish bad faith against the insurer. Critics of white and opponents of the admission of litigation conduct as evidence of bad faith raise four arguments. One, sufficient existing protections. The trial judge, rules of civil procedure and ethics rules protect insureds from improper insurance litigation conduct. Two, relevance. The litigation conduct of an insurer's lawyer is only marginally probative of the insurer's claim handling. Furthermore, the prejudice resulting from placing litigation tactics before a jury substantially outweighs the probative value of such evidence. Three, the chilling effect, the possibility that an insurer's litigation conduct may be admitted as evidence of bad faith has a chilling effect on the insurer's defense and its willingness to compromise or set forth any kind of offer of settlement. And fourth, attorneys for insurers will be unreasonably constrained in their advocacy 
and will be required continually to evaluate whether they will be advocates or witnesses at trial. In a case called J.B. Aguirre versus American Guarantee, a 1997 decision of the California Court of Appeal, it affirmed a judgment of dismissal on demur holding a liability insurer did not act unreasonably as a matter of law in refusing to meet the plaintiff's $2 million settlement demand despite the alleged risk of exposing the insured to uncovered punitive liability. The insured's alleged fear of his punitive exposure coerced him to contribute to a settlement out of duress. Looking through the form of the transaction to its economic substance, Justice Neal observed as follows, quote, what we have here at bottom is an effort by the insured to concoct a bad faith claim out of whole cloth with the ingenious assistance of counsel. The insured has attempted to position itself to pursue a high stakes, bad faith case seeking punitive damages from which it hopes to emerge not only with the underlying claim disposed of at no cost to the insured, but a profit as well in the form of damages recovered from the insurer. Bad faith litigation is not a game where insureds are free to manufacture claims for recovery. Every judgment against an insurer potentially increases the amounts that other citizens must pay for their insurance premiums. The decision in White versus Western Title has proved the adage that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Although the court had the apparent good intention of protecting an insured against what it saw as wrongful conduct by an insurer devastated devastated the ability of insurers to defend themselves against unfounded bad faith lawsuits and encouraged more bad faith litigation. The logarithmic growth of insurance fraud in the state of California and other states that have allowed tort damages for bad faith breach of insurance company may be directly traced, at least in part, to the judicial creation of the tort of bad faith. Before the tort of bad faith, insurers with a reasonable belief that an insured was presenting a fraudulent claim would refuse to pay it. Persons perpetrating the fraud did, in most cases, accept the refusal as a cost of doing business and went on to the next fraudulent claim against a different insurer. After the recognition of the tort of bad faith, those who perpetrated fraudulent insurance claims that were denied went to lawyers instead. Suits for bad faith popped up like wildflowers in the desert after a rainstorm. Juries angered by insurers accusing their insureds of fraud punished the insurers with multi-million dollar judgments. After each judgment, hundreds of cases settled 
even though no monies were owed, for fear of being victims of the same out-of-control juries. Fraud units that had been instituted in the 70s were disbanded in the late 80s because of fear of punitive damage judgments. It only reinstated after states passed statutes requiring insurers to maintain insurance fraud investigation units so that, of course, motivated lawyers and claimants and insureds could then bring bad faith claims against the insurers who denied claims for fraud because they were compelled to do so by state statutes. It was a classic catch-22. The courts, legislatures, and the insurance departments of the various states need to recognize that an insurer with the best of all possible fraud investigations units will, on occasion, err. A company with a highly trained and motivated fraud investigation unit made up of professional investigators and attorneys who are human will still, on occasion, err. The public and those who serve on juries must understand that an aggressive fraud investigation, even if it reaches an incorrect result, is not malicious and, if negligent, not an act of bad faith. Today, if a jury believes that an insurer was wrong in its decision, it will award punitive damages, regardless of the instructions read to it by the judge about the elements of the tort. Insurers are not liked. Bad publicity that was given to insurers by the early bad faith cases has poisoned the public image of insurers. Insurers are often prejudged. Some defense lawyers contend that before the first witness is sworn, at least three jurors are lost and counsel must convince the remaining nine, while the plaintiff only needs to convince six of the insurers who may sit in judgment without an anti-insurer prejudice. As a business necessity, insurers must have the confidence of the public that they are financially sound, secure, and have an overabundance of funds available to pay claims. The need to show the security of the company to the public has the effect of convincing juries that a multi-million dollar verdict against the insurer will not hurt it. Plaintiffs' lawyers disingenuously tell juries that they don't want to harm the insurance company. All they want to do is get its attention. They argue that a $10 million verdict might cause an itch in the corporate pocketbook sufficient to cause management to scratch away the need to improperly reject claims. The argument is hard for a jury of working people to withstand. The tort of bad faith and the punitive damages that seem to go with it have served their purpose. Insurers now have professional claims departments. Insureds are almost universally treated with courtesy and respect. More than 90% of all claims are resolved without litigation or argument. Legitimate claims are paid with alacrity. Insurance fraud continues to grow. 
The amount of money taken from insurers every year are in the tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. The fear of punitive damages has made the fight against fraud almost impossible. Even when an insured is arrested, tried, and convicted of the crime, insurance fraud or attempted insurance fraud attempts will still be made to sue the insurer for the tort of bad faith. I can, as my mentors taught me 50 years ago, state with confidence the opinion that an insurer should spend millions of dollars for the defense of a non-covered or fraudulent claim and not a dime for trivia. However, practical insurance professionals have a need to resolve litigation as inexpensively as possible to protect the shareholders who want the insurers to make a profit. As a result, the insurer will disobey the Millions for Defense covenant and will make a business decision to pay the non-covered loss or fraud rather than take a chance on an adverse verdict. However, as with all things in insurance, the attitudes of insurers move in cycles. More often than not, I am called upon to testify in bad faith cases that the insurer insists on taking trial by jury rather than pay off a scoff law. I can only hope this cycle continues and more attempts at fraud are defeated. This video was adapted from my book, The Law of Unintended Consequences and the Tort of Bad Faith. It is available as both a Kindle book and as a paperback from Amazon.com and can also be found on my website, Zalma.com, by clicking on the Insurance Claims Library. If you found this video useful or of interest, please forward it to your colleagues. Subscribe to my blog so that you can learn of future videos and blog posts. Thank you for your interest and attention.